we're going to pick up where we left off last time. We're in John chapter 5, now verse 31. John chapter 5, verse, verse 31. And here the Lord is speaking, and he said, if I alone testify about myself, he said, my testimony is not true. Now, don't misunderstand this. Everything he says is true. He's the God of all truth. What he means here is this. If I alone testify of myself in a court of law, that testimony won't have much influence. When the accused testifies on his own behalf or her own behalf, you listen to it, but you don't attach much credibility to it. And so the Lord was saying, in accordance with Jewish legal practice, uh, he said, uh, if I testify alone, I know from your point of view it won't be true. Now, they weren't far off in this because they applied the words of Moses way back in Deuteronomy. I'll read it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. So you see, Moses uh, introduced this notion that the accused is far better off if he, have, if he has at least two or three others testifying on his behalf because his unilateral testimony in a legal tribunal will carry much less weight. And so the Lord is acknowledging this rather understandable principle, and therefore he is about to show them, well, I, I do not need to testify on my own behalf. And not only do I have two or even three witnesses, I have more. And in the text now that follows, you will see, I'll try to point it out, uh, the Lord calls upon four other sources of testimony on his behalf. Here, here we begin now in verse uh, 32. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Well, the another who the Lord is speaking of is God uh, the Father. And, and uh, more about his testimony about the Son in just a few moments. But here the Lord skips now in verse 33 to another who testifies of him. You have sent to John, that's John the Baptist, you have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not for man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. So, so the testimony uh, offered by John on the Lord's behalf is what the Lord invokes to substantiate his claims to deity. He's saying, I'm not making a unilateral claim, a claim John the Baptist did. But then the Lord says, however, it doesn't matter really what he or anyone else says. I'm almighty God, and what I have to say should stand on its own way. See, the testimony I receive is not from man. Well, then you would say, then why, why are you engaging in this give and take, in this case, with the Jewish religious leaders? Why are you allowing them to play this game? Why don't you just put them in their place? Why don't you just depart from them? And here's the answer. I say these things so that you might be saved. And I had to step back when I was studying the text this week and be reminded of the amazing grace of Almighty God. He puts up with these Jewish religious leaders for the same reason he puts up with folk like you and I, that you might be saved. 
He keeps coming. He pursues us with the message of salvation because he is the Savior. And he desires for none to perish, but for everyone to be saved. Chris, what, am I embarrassing you to tell you the Lord Jesus had his eyes on you from before time? You did not know that yet. It's not your fault. You didn't understand that. But he was pursuing you from before time. Now, you came to a point where you caught up with him and realized it all. But he did it for one reason. You didn't deserve it. He did it because he loves you enough uh, to make sure that you would be saved. Now, listen. These folk right here, please remember, these were the Jewish religious leaders who hated the Lord. In fact, they were conspiring right now. They were thinking of every creative way possible to bring him up on trumped-up charges so as to uh, kill him. They wanted him murdered, and still he came after them. Could I step away from the text just for a second with an application? Today, a lot of people are giving up on my people because my people are stiff-necked. I got that. But if the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't give up on anyone, we better not either. So don't withhold the gospel even from stiff-necked Jews or stiff-necked Gentiles. We keep coming, and we engage in conversation and, and the give and take and all the rest. And here's the reason, not to win an argument. No, so that they might be saved. And so it says in verse 35, he, John the Baptist, was the lamp. Jesus is the light. John the Baptist was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. The Jewish religious leaders were initially quite attracted to John the Baptist. They thought, oh my goodness, maybe he's the precursor of a new messianic age. Hooray, finally, the Messiah is on the horizon, and the Messiah is going to come. He's kind of a political Messiah, and he's going to do business with the Romans who are oppressing us, and he's going to beat up on them and set us free. Maybe John the Baptist is the herald of that kind of Messiah. Now, and so they were enamored with John the Baptist for a spell. But when they found out John the Baptist was speaking to them of a Messiah of an entirely different kind, he didn't come to save them from political oppression. He came to save them from a worst kind of oppression, and that is the penalty of their own sin. Well, they didn't want a Savior to do that. And so uh, John the Baptist lost favor with them. But initially, he had their favor. So John testified of Jesus, the true Messiah, and in addition, there is the testimony of the miraculous works of the Messiah himself. So Jesus said, I don't testify of myself. Number one, you have John the Baptist as a, one who testified for me, and here's the second testimony, the works Jesus did. Look, verse 36. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John... John had words, but the Lord Jesus had works. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the, the, the very works that I do testify about me, that the Father has sent me. The miraculous things that Jesus did, listen, they were not arbitrary, and they were not theatrical. No, no, no. They were not disconnected. They were the very things that the Old Testament prophets, the Jewish prophets, said are the things which would accompany the coming of the Messiah. And the Lord Jesus is saying, don't you see I'm the fulfillment of what Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and all those folks spoke of with regard to the Messiah. All the things they said, when the lame will walk, the blind receive their sight. I've done all those miracles. So you have the, uh, so far the testimony of John the Baptist about me. You have the testimony of the very works that I have done. In other words, Jesus said, uh, what I have said is backed up, should be backed up in your mind by what I have done. 
It's not just the words of John the Baptist that testify of me. It's the very works I have done. Now, already in this gospel, we haven't gone too far. I realize that. We're only in chapter 5. But already we have seen the Lord turn water into wine. Remember that? We saw the Lord from afar pronounced healing on a government official's uh, son. Remember that? We saw him march on into Jerusalem at a place filled, pools of Bethesda, with many lame and needy people. And he pronounced a new condition upon someone who was for 38 years in his sickness, immobile and unable to walk. And the man went off as if he was whole. Already we have seen those miraculous works, and we haven't even got started. There's much more to come in the Gospel of John. So the Lord says, there were the words of John, some of which you listened to for a spell, and there were the works that I myself have performed. These testify of me, and there's a third one who testifies of me. Verse 37, and the Father who sent me he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. So the father testified about the son when? Well, on a number of occasions, not the least of which was at the uh, baptism of the Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The father testified of the son. Now, what is meant by what's said at the end of verse 37? You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. The reason why these Jewish religious leaders did not see the form of God the Father is that God the Father does not have any form. He's, uh, how about this word, incorporeal. He's spirit. Doesn't have a body. Have you heard of Corpus Christi? Yeah, Corpus Christi. Who knows what it means, Corpus Christi? Body of Christ. Corpus Christi. Body of, isn't that a beautiful name? Corpus Christi, body of Christ. Christ has a body. Corpus, corpus. But the Father doesn't. He's incorporeal, without corpus, without a body. Well, crying out loud, how do I get to know God then? <laughs> You get to know the invisible, incorporeal God by taking a faith look at Jesus the Son in a body made visible for us. You see what I mean? Now, the reason why these Jewish religious leaders did not see the form of God is they rejected Jesus the Son. And if you reject Jesus the Son, you cannot see his Father. That's kind of what's meant here. Verse 38, you, you do not have his word abiding in you, the Lord said to them, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. Here now is the fourth witness to Jesus Christ. First, John the Baptist. Second, miraculous works. Third, God the Father. And here, scripture, the very word of God. The Jewish people passionately, diligently studied every jot and tittle in the Hebrew scriptures or what we would call the Old Testament. But they refused to let them point them to the main subject of those scriptures and that is the Messiah, Jesus. And so they missed him. They were quite passionate, but they didn't accept the witness of scripture to Jesus 
And so it says, he says, it is these that testify about me. Now, why were they so passionately committed to studying scripture? Well, it says here, because you think that in them you have eternal life. You see, they believed they could obtain eternal life through intense study of scripture. No, no, but the study of scripture is not the point. The study of scripture to see the redeemer, that's the point. I was in England, I was stationed in the military. I told you this story, I think, but um, I'm getting older and we're allowed to repeat things again and again. So uh, I got a call from a chaplain and uh, he, he was an Orthodox rabbi chaplain, unusual in the military, but there he was. And he said, hey, uh, Rothberg, you're Jewish, right? Call me on the phone. He said, yeah, I'm going through the list of all the people here on this post and um, I wanna invite all the ones who were Jewish, my wife and I do, to our home, get to know each other. To which I said, now, Rabbi, that'd just be great. I'd love to do that, but you ought to know something about me before you invite me over to your house. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, just something I ought to tell you about. You may want to reconsider. Well, what are you, like a murderer or something like that? I said, no, no, nothing like that. He said, Rabbi, have you heard of Jews who believe in Jesus? And there was silence on the end. I said, I'm one of them. He said, you're right. You are not invited to my home. Okay. So about a week later, I get a call from this rabbi, Rothberg, this is rabbi so-and-so. I want you to come to my office. And I thought, oh, for crying out loud, he's gonna kill me. That's what the deal is. So I showed up in his office. He said, I spoke to some other rabbis. They were a member of a very ultra-Orthodox sect. And uh, they berated the rabbi for dumping me. They said to the rabbi, don't you see, he's in a cult, he's, he's brainwashed. And you gotta meet, don't send him away. You gotta meet with him. You know, you gotta study together with him and uh, win him back to the truth. The rabbi said, so, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to study scripture, to which I said, cool. I don't think I said cool. I was a little more dignified. But anyway, that was essentially the uh, point over there. And so we started studying scripture together. And uh, we got to a certain point where I asked him, because he studies scripture, you know, hours and hours every day. Have you ever seen Jewish people, they'll have a a book in front of them, a prayer book, or even part of the uh, Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures. And, and you know, the, they read it like this. This is to show um, that you're respectful and devout before God. You shake before him. I mean, and you study Scriptures from morning until night. And I remember asking this rabbi who does this, why do you, why do, you do this? And he said, because uh, Judaism teaches when you do that, even if you go over passages of Scripture, mechanically, you know, over and over and over again, the same passage of Scripture, without even any think, thought about it, you just go over it like a robot. He said, we believe it uh, somehow ushers us into the presence of God, and through that, we gain eternal life. He said, he used the word, something metaphysical happens when we do that. Oh, my goodness. You see? So that's what the Lord Jesus is getting at because people in his day were doing the same thing. Very sincere, zealous Jewish people, sincerely wrong, studying the scripture. You do this because you think in these are eternal life, but, but, but it's these very scriptures. He says, they testify of me. Bible study is really good. But did you know that Bible study doesn't give you eternal life? The Lord Jesus, who is the main subject of the Bible, he gives you eternal life. But how could it be that though these very devout Jewish people study scripture with such diligence, how could it be that they don't see Jesus there? Well, let me share this with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, so that would be, you know, 
back there, the Hebrew scriptures. Whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. So that's the plight of my people today. Because of the rejection of our Messiah, uh, we have a veil over our heart. Kind of a spiritual blindness. But it will not be forever. Read the rest of the Bible and you'll see the veil will be removed. Can I beseech you to do something? Pray that God would remove, would remove the veil from the hearts of Jewish people today. There are more of them out there than just me. Let me tell you that. And God can grant us eyes to see our own Messiah in our own scriptures. Otherwise, we're blind. Now, verse 40, you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. They study scripture. They come to scripture with great respect. But it is not coming to scripture that saves. It is coming to Jesus. He saves. And so he says in verse 41, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. What a shame. History tells us that no less than 63 false messiahs came to Israel uh, in the Lord's day, and each commanded a following. Various Jews followed these various false messiahs. By the way, they're still doing it. Uh, today. Isn't that ironic that my people will reject the true Messiah but be so prone to follow a false Messiahs? Why? Because false Messiahs offer what people, not just mine, all people are looking for, like political liberation or material blessings or worldly success. These are all the things that win false messiahs are following. Well, when you, ha you have the true messiah who says, you are conceived in sin. It is your nature. You have sinned against holy God in thought, word, and deed. Nothing you do can make up for it. You cannot climb a ladder of good deeds sufficiently high to access almighty God. Salvation cannot be obtained in any wise through anything you do, but I am the Savior. And it's only by faith in me that you could be saved. Now, folks don't want to hear that unless they want to hear it, like that guy right there. And you and me. But most folks in their pride don't want to hear that, see. We would rather hear something that promises us just the way we are. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. Come on. That's not something that's going to win a whole lot of popularity. Don't tell me I need a Savior. I can save myself. See, that's human pride. And so they... They rejected Jesus and opted instead for false messiahs. Could I tell you what's a horrible thought and a reality to come? My people are going to do it again on a much grander scale than ever when one called the anti-messiah, anti-Christ, comes on the scene. He will promise peace and prosperity. And people will cast caution to the wind put their discernment in neutral and support him. And for spell, he'll give them what they want and then he'll reveal his true colors, the anti-Messiah. So that's going to be a horrific day and it'll come. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble or the tribulation period. Well, anyway, uh, the real Messiah spoke of sin and the need for salvation uh, through faith, by God's grace, and they didn't want to hear that. So they rejected the true Messiah and instead followed 
false messiahs. And so he says in verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Something else kept them from Christ. It was their desire for acceptance and approval from others. They desired people's approval more than Christ's. Don't do that. Nobody values the disapproval of other folk, but don't cave in to get it. Don't compromise to get it. Don't turn your back on Jesus to get the approval of men. I told you this story too, but here we go again. Uh, I was in the military, and I was a counselor in a military mental health clinic. The head psychiatrist of the clinic invited us, who worked in the clinic, to his home one night for dinner party, something like this. And uh, I was there, and some others were there, social workers and counselors and different ones, secretaries. And the guy who led me to the Lord was there, because he also worked in that office. And I, it was really going to my head. Oh, my goodness, I am hanging out with the big shots tonight. This is really, really good. I come from humble roots, and now I'm hobnobbing, you know, with, with these big shots. They were high-ranking officers and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and then my friend, the guy who led me to the Lord, and we're standing around, you know, and it's a group of us. He starts bringing up talk of Jesus. I could not believe it. He was just going to ruin the whole atmosphere. You know, put a damper on the whole party. And sure enough, he did. You know, they started to do the, you know, the, what they call that moonwalk, the Michael Jackson moonwalk. They tried to get out, out of the way and stuff like that. And I felt like, oh, man, we'll never get invited again. And then later that night, I got so disturbed on the inside. I found out later that's called the conviction of of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit in you. But I never had that before because I never had God's Spirit in me. It was worse than a Baptist preacher looking you in the eye and, you know, talking to you. It was just that real. And I was reminded of the fact that the Lord Jesus who accepted me was now rejected by me. I was a new believer then. To my knowledge, I never did that again. I acknowledged my, I didn't plead for forgiveness. No, no, no. I thank God for forgiving me by suffering and dying on the cross for all my sins, including this particular one. But I remembered, uh, I look back on it, and I remember to this day how much I like the approval of people. So do you. Doesn't make any sense, does it? Because they're just as flawed, defective, and sinful as we are. <laughs> and yet we jump through hoops to get their approval. And so the Lord is saying, you know, that's what's keeping you from seeing me. It'll cost you. Now, with reference to Jewish people, there are many objections to the gospel. They'll bring up the Trinity. We Jews believe in one God, not three. They'll bring up the Holocaust. How could God be good if we lost six million? These are big-time objections. I got gotcha. you. But the number one Jewish objection to the gospel is the same number one objection by everyone, if they're honest. It's this. It'll cost me too much to believe in Jesus. That's the number one objection. That's the number one objection. And your response to someone like that should be, you're right. That's true. But the cost is worth it for what you gain. You inherit forgiveness of sin, eternal life, and adoption into God's family. 
And so the biggest stumbling block to placing faith in the Lord Jesus is the cost. Some people will reject you. Some people will register their disapproval. And the Lord is saying, that's what happened to you. You seek the approval of one another instead of God. Then he says in verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you, this is right in their face, the one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. Moses is considered in Judaism to be the highest rabbi. The way you get ranked as a rabbi is the rabbi closest to receiving the law of God. Mount Sinai, that was Moses. So that means he's the rabbi with the highest rank. Every rabbi since Moses has decreasing authority. So they always make recourse back to Moses. He's called Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses the greatest rabbi. And so these people studied the words of Moses. The first five books of the Bible, we call it the Torah, uh, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they studied it because they thought that was the road to salvation. But the Lord was saying, this Moses, who you perceive to be your savior, will be the very one who condemns you. Why is that? Because they pridefully sought to win God's favor in their own salvation through compliance with the law of Moses. Who could do that? Well, let's try it out here. How many commandments we have in the Bible? You got 10 commandments. Let's just go a few here. Uh, how many people here uh, have never uh, um, lied? Okay. Not good so far. How many people have never taken anything that's not yours rightfully? Uh -huh. If you go through all these things and you, you fudge it and you say, no, I got you. I'm, I'm good here. I get good grades. Here's the last one. This will nail you. Thou shalt not covet. Ooh -ooh. That means to have a desire for something that cannot be righteously satisfied. A desire for a woman you shouldn't have a desire for, or a man, a desire for a car <laughs> that is, oh, look at that Corvette. Uh, uh, un, uh, desires that cannot be righteously satisfied. Here's the point. If you seek to live by the law of Moses, you'll be condemned by it because nobody has perfectly lived by the law. That's why the Lord is saying, you don't need me to bring an accusation against you before the Father. Your own beloved great rabbi will do that. Why? Verse 46. See, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Isn't that astounding? The Hebrew scriptures wrote about Jesus. How? Well, Luke 24, 27. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Can I give you a sample? Here's one I ask folks I take to Israel with me to memorize. Uh, David, you probably have it memorized already. Isaiah 53, 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who is the him? 
Isaiah wrote that 700 years before Jesus, but it is speaking of Jesus. Who else could it be speaking of? And so the Lord said, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Isaiah being one, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. But, verse 47, if you do not believe his writings, Moses, how will you believe my words? So, the Lord Jesus does not testify of himself alone. There is the testimony of John the Baptist, of the miraculous works of Jesus, of God the Father, and of scriptures themselves. They all testify to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. He is divine. He is deity. He is the Savior of the world. He came to suffer and die for our sins. Here's the point, folks. Do you accept the testimony? That's the question. Do you accept the testimony? What is your verdict? I guess this is the question. What is your verdict about who Jesus is? You see, the verdict you render about him will determine the verdict his father renders with reference to you. That's the way it works. The father will say, what has been your response to my son? I rejected him, then I reject you. I've accepted him, I accept you. You see how important this is? And the Lord hasn't left us with the necessity of taking a blind leap from logic to faith. Don't you see there's plenty of information testifying to the veracity, the truthfulness of the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith doesn't mean you put your mind on hold. Faith means confidence in the statements the Lord Jesus made about himself because it's backed up by voluminous testimony and witness that what Jesus said about himself is true. So you know what our job is until the Lord returns? It's to go about and help people render the right verdict about who Jesus is. That's our job. That's our job. And it uh, is something we have opportunity to do all the time. And as we close, I want to give you a chance to see how this uh, can play out in the life of a very ordinary person under very ordinary circumstances. Benson, could you come join me here? And by ordinary, I mean no uh, disrespect. But, I mean, Benson Pear is, is not a crusade evangelist. He is not a this, that, or the other thing. He's just an ordinary guy and, uh, who knows the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes about and he tries to help people render the right verdict about who Jesus is. And he was sharing with me a couple of days ago about some opportunities he had to do so. And I thought it would be encouraging for you to hear. So, Benson, take it away. All right. Well, I have been instructed and encouraged by Stuart for some time to... To be bold in my, my testimony, uh, we're studying the book of John in, in Bible Study Fellowship, our men's class on Monday night here at Sagemont. John certainly encourages us to be, to be bold, so I've tried to look for opportunities. God gives us opportunities every day. Uh, I was in Washington, D.C. last Thursday and Friday on business, and I had a few hours Friday afternoon to wait for a plane, so I'm in the airport, and my uh, phone needed charging, and it occurred to me, they have table there in the, uh, in the gate area, uh, many places to plug your, your phone in, and it occurred to me that if someone comes up and plugs their phone in to charge it, they're not going to go very far. So you've pretty much got them, unless they decide to unplug it and walk away, but if they're there to charge their phone, 
you've got an opportunity to talk to them. So I sat there. I got my Bible out and my BSF lesson. And uh, not surprising, a lady comes up to plug her phone in. And uh, she's standing there. And I said, yeah, I said, this is a great opportunity. I had to, to do my Bible study for today. It's, it's Good Friday. And we were studying the lesson was John 19. Good Friday, the first Good Friday. And uh, so I... Uh, I, I told her it was, you know, this is a tremendous lesson for me. And I said, uh, can I tell you the greatest thing that ever happened to me? And she sort of looked and I said, it's when I realized that God would forgive my sins and sent his son to die on the cross in my place, rose from the grave three days later, that I should have eternal life. I said, when I die, if I died today, I know where I'm going. I'm going to heaven I said, do you know where you'd go if you died today? She said, well, I, I'm a Roman Catholic. And she said, I, I go to church every Sunday, and, and I hope I know. I said, well, you, you don't have to just hope. I said, you can know. I said, if you put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, you believe he's the Son of God, died for your sins, you accept him as your savior, you can know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. And she just looked at me and just didn't react. There's another lady walked up, and I did the same thing. Told her I was studying the John 19. I was having some time to do my Bible study, and I said, it's fantastic uh, day to, to be studying this. It's it's. Good Friday, and we're studying that right here in the Bible. She said, oh, it's a, it's a bad day for me. I said, well, what do you mean? And she opened up, poured out her heart to me, a perfect stranger in an airport. She and her husband were on her way to Kansas to see their daughter, son-in-law. Their daughter had filed for divorce, and their son-in-law didn't even know it, didn't see it coming. It was a surprise to everybody. They have two babies, a three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old baby. And this, this young lady had, had uh, decided that she'd had enough and, and was going to leave her husband. Husband was in the military, so when she moved out, she wouldn't have a home on the base. She wouldn't have insurance. She wouldn't have any of the military uh, things. So, um, And I said, could you tell me her name, just her first name? I said, because I'd like to pray for you, pray for her. She told me her name was Laura, and we prayed, and she continued to tell me about the situation. Uh, and I tried to, to you know, <laughs> I'm not a trained counselor. You don't know what to say, but God gives you words. I said, I said I'm not going to tell you. I, I'm, I don't know how to resolve this issue, but I said, I, won't, I think you should... You impress upon your daughter that she needs to get this relationship right before she can get this relationship right. You got to have the vertical before the horizontal. I said, is she a believer? She said, we raised her in the church. We thought she was a believer. Anyway, this went on for 15, 20 minutes. And the lady was so thankful that I would listen to her and, and uh, that I would pray for her and I've prayed for her and her daughter since every day since uh, and that's just what can happen when you're sitting in an airport and you let 
God use you to help uh, spread his word or help people. Thank you, Vincent. God bless you, brother. Really appreciate it. God bless you, brother. It's just so encouraging to to hear about this, and then it alerts you to the opportunities. I think I was telling you, I used to pray, oh, God, give me opportunities, but I stopped doing that. I, and now I pray, oh, God, give me eyes to see the opportunities you've, <laughs> you've already given. Isn't it wonderful the way Benson uh, just started conversation and how open these people were to discuss things? Don't your heart break for people who don't know what will happen to them should they die? And I forget about that, who don't have the uh, privilege of a daily walk with the creator of of the world. So they're out there, folks, and our job is to help people render the right verdict about the Lord Jesus because their very eternity depends upon it. 